Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Guys, it's, it's so good to stand up here and actually open up my notes. It's just, if you've been around for a little while, you know that the Spirit's just been manifesting and I barely get to uh, any kind of message, which I'm totally cool with because I'd rather just see whatever the Holy Spirit has up Holy Spirit's sleeve. If the Holy Spirit has sleeves, probably more like a dove with wings, but... Um, <laughs> I actually need that microphone because I want to call up Dr. Brenda. Will you guys welcome my friend, Dr. Brenda? Hi. So last week, um, I had a verse in my notes that I didn't even get to out of Acts 17. And then Dr. Brenda this morning pulled me aside and actually quoted that verse and felt like it was a, uh, a word for the church. And so I wanted her to release that prophetic word for us. Well, I was here on Tuesday said, and God kept saying to me, are you ready to turn the world upside down? And he told me in Acts 17, he says that you may not see yourself like that, but I see you. You're capable and you have the ability because you live inside of me. Pentecost hasn't stopped. The acts of the Holy Spirit has not stopped. He is saying to us today, God has need of us. To turn the world upside down. Amen. He wants to use each and every one of you. Don't let your family, don't let the world, don't let those around you dictate to you. But who God says you are. <laughs> you will turn this world upside down. It is for you now. Well, it's good to be together today. Guys, go and have a nice lunch. <laughs> oh, I love the Holy Spirit. It takes strong anointing to, like, make me funny. And uh, <laughs> and. Uh, it's just so good to be in a community where we are, we're more interested in what the Lord wants to do than uh, what uh, any single person has planned for the morning. And, and it's been really fun over the past few weeks to talk about the kingdom coming, the advancing of the kingdom of heaven and what it looks like when the kingdom is advancing. And, and it was all in anticipation for Pentecost Sunday. When 2,000 years ago, people were gathered in an upper room just like this, and they were praying and, and worshiping just like we pray and worship. Something uh, spectacular, historic, and, and amazing happened, and, and I, I'm, I'm excited to not just commemorate it, but to step back in and access it with you guys this morning. Um, you know, let's just... just did you guys bring your Bibles? We're going we're gonna to do a Bible drill, okay? So bust out the Bibles. I want you to open up to Matthew 3. Okay, Matthew 3, verse 11. 
I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Go to the next book of the Bible, Mark chapter one. This is John the Baptist again. Mark chapter one, verse seven. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, whose thongs, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Woo. Flip one more book. Book of Luke, chapter three. Luke 3.16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. <laughs> Flip one more book, book of John. More Lord. More Lord. <laughs> John chapter one, verse 26. Start in verse 26. I baptize you with water, John replied, but among you stands one that you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then skip down to verse 33. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. It's getting good, isn't it? Repetition. Hey, flip one more book. Book of Acts. Acts chapter one. This is Acts chapter one, verse one. We'll read a little bit here. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Flip 10 chapters, Acts chapter 11, verses 16 through 18. Acts 11, 16. This is Paul now. I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Guys, this promise 
that John baptized with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire appears in all four gospels and twice in the book of Acts. I actually can't think of another verse that appears word for word as many times as this one promise. And it's not just a promise, it's called, he's called the promise of the Father. The reason we did this Bible exercise is because I want us to remember this point that as we're getting dunked into these scriptures, may we be getting dunked all over again into the spirit of God. You guys know that John the Baptist, his, his, middle, name isn't, his middle initial isn't T. It's not John T. Baptist, right? <laughs> I guess if he was to go by his proper name, he'd probably be like John Zechariahson, you know, like the son of Zechariah. But he is now known as just John the Baptist because why? He was obsessed with dunking people in water. Baptized is baptismo, which means immersed or dunked into water. And so what John is prophesying to all of Israel is, I might be dunking you in a river, but there is one who will turn you into a river. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. It is he, he was before me. He's greater than me. I'm gonna diminish and he's going to rise. Like he is preparing Israel. And the way that he prepared Israel for this is to commemorate them turning to God by dunking them in cold water that they wouldn't forget, right? It's a very memorable moment when you repent, you turn to God and then and this gnarly dude who, you know, is... <laughs> eats locusts and, and wears camel hair clothing, is dunking you in water. You remember a moment like that, right? You ever wonder like how John stumbled upon his calling? Maybe he was just swimming with buddies, just got a little raucous and dunked his friend and like suddenly like clarity, awakening comes over him. He's like, I know what I must do. I mean, this... This kid gets kicked out of every public school, public pool he goes to. <laughs> so when John is dunking people in water, what water is he dunking them in? The Jordan River. He is actually standing in the place that Israel had to cross to enter the promised land. And he is prophesying by his very existence, location, and words that one, a greater deliverance and a greater promised land is coming. And in Mark chapter one, verse five, it says that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan. So historians think that uh, at this time, Jerusalem had a population of about 1,000 Jews. But the surrounding areas, if you were to add them all up, they're thinking there's somewhere around 4 million. 4 million Jews at the time. And so uh, John the Dunker had more dunks than the NBA. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of dunking people, right? And can you imagine, like, that? His, his over and over, he's dunking people into this river and he's, and he's got this thing that he's saying, I, I baptize you in water. I'm, I'm dunking you in water, but one's coming. <laughs> one's coming. He's gonna dunk you into all of God. And John, his whole life 
is looking forward to this moment when he sees thirsty Jews being pickled by the presence of Christ. We entered this world cucumbers, the presence of God pickles us. You can't go back once you're a pickle, okay? You then become salty and tasty and good for any sandwich. <laughs> I can imagine him just saying this over and over. Maybe he's singing it, like turning it into a little limerick song, like, I dunk you in a river, but one's coming who will turn you into a river. I dunk you into a river. So when John gets imprisoned and he gets curious about Jesus's messiahship, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And it's a, it's a weird time to ask that because the whole world is erupting with the rumors, the stories of the crazy things that Jesus is doing. And Jesus talks to John's disciples and, and actually confirms his messiahship with them by quoting prophetic scriptures about the Messiah from Isaiah 35 and 61. And Jesus starts to point to all the signs and wonders, all the healings, all the great stuff, like the poor have the preach, good news preached to them, the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are hearing. But John was waiting for something else. His whole life, he wants to know what it looks like when normal people are baptized into the power of God to turn the world upside down. See, Jesus confirms that it's his mission to turn people into rivers. In John 7, 37, it says this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were yet to receive for as yet the, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is also an echo of Jesus's discussion with the woman at the well in John 4:14, 4, where Jesus tells her, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never, thieze, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So if you can imagine the, what the Israelites understood of how to connect or commune with God. In the past, it was that you, you kind of, you had one priest who went into the Holy of Holies once a year and he's your representative and it's almost like you're just getting a sip. You're getting a drink of, of relief on, a, on an annual basis of the, of the confirmation of God's love for the nation. And Jesus is biding his time. He's waiting for the day when he can get rid of that old way. And he's thinking, I can't wait. Because the old way, the old way, it's like the, the priest, the one priest has to go through these ritualistic cleansings and be prepared to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And, and if this is the, the, the Holy of Holies that, the innermost part of the temple, the priest finally gets here and, and everyone, we wanna know what it's like in there, right? Don't you wanna be this priest? And like finally get into the Holy of Holies? Well, Jesus was like, I can do even better. 
by one sacrifice and act of purification, I will turn you all into the holy of holies in which I will dwell forever. And in, in 1 Peter, puts it like this, you are now a royal priesthood. Wait, what? Everyone? Not just one guy who's like elected and chosen and anointed? No, no, you are all a royal priesthood. This is also echoed in, in uh, Revelation chapter five when all of heaven is singing, you're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy because you were slain and by your blood, you purchased men for God from every nation and tribe and people. And you've made them to be a what? A, a whole kingdom of priests. So we all get all of the Holy Spirit. There's no one who has junior Holy Spirit. You have been redeemed. You have been blood-bought. You have been turned into the temple of the living God. Never again will you ever have to do any ritualistic sacrifices or good works in order to get into his presence because his presence got into you. I talked so long that my iPad turned off. Let's open up to Acts. Let's talk about our namesake. Acts 2. So Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because something wild is going to happen. That's my paraphrase. He said, you're going to receive power. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive power to be my witnesses. This is Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That would be a notable prayer meeting, right? I remember the first time I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I was 13 years old. And I was with three other 13-year-olds and a 16-year-old. He was the cool kid. Just young men. We gathered in my friend's basement because we decided that we were gonna pray, that we were gonna know God, that we were gonna pray for revival in our city and when one of our friends began being vulnerable and praying out loud and confessing something he was struggling with, the Holy Spirit descended on us. And I've never felt what I felt in that moment. It was as if I was the Lord's wind instrument or his squeaky toy, and he was crushing the loudest sound out of me in the most wonderful way. It wasn't painful. It was me roaring. Everyone, all these... 14-year-old voice-cracking boys started shouting, I mean, roaring at the top of our lungs. We didn't know what had come over us. And we began getting angelic visions. We were filled with so much, so much zeal. We didn't know what to do. We had to, we had to get the message out. It was, like we, it was like fire shut up in our bones. And so the, our 16-year-old buddy, Eddie, he could drive. So we piled into his mom's minivan and we went to the closest grocery store. And we began evangelizing the grocery store aisle by aisle because we had to get this fire out of us. People had to know that the Holy Ghost was real. 
And I went up to this woman who was just, she was just trying to get her grocery shopping done. And, and here I am, just this little punk kid. And I said, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? And she starts giving like, she's trying to dodge the question. It's a real weird encounter. And like, answer, like gives me kind of some pat religious answers. And I was like, no, you can go on not believing in him if you can look me in the eyes and tell me you don't see God shining from me. And she begins weeping and shaking and this look of terror comes over and she's like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Power from on high to be witnesses. We don't have the right to ask people to believe in God unless we're manifesting the works of God. Even Jesus said the same thing. If I don't do the works of my father, you don't have to believe me, but at least believe in the works themselves. And so when we become empowered by the Holy Ghost, the impossibilities of this world bow at the name of Jesus. We can stretch out our ordinary hand put it on a broken body and see healing. And I'm so grateful for the healings that we've seen in this place. Last week, there were several testimonies, people dramatically encountered, experienced the power of God changing things in their body. And we're so grateful for it, right church? But are we satisfied? Are we grateful? But are we satisfied? No, because no, we want more. We want cancer to bow. We want to create an expectancy. In this room, we want to have a history where we see miracles. And so I want to just keep on putting the Holy Spirit center stage and step out on cliffs where God has to show up. This is verse five. Now there were Jews residing in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are, why are not all these who are speaking, sorry, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then it lists all these nations, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Why are they going into such detail about all the, all the different places? Didn't you just say like men from every nation were gathered? And he goes on to list all of these different nations to really hammer home this point. Why? Because beloved, this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel where... The whole world had one language and we said, you know what? We're gonna build a spiritual epicenter tower. We're gonna be like God. We're gonna do the impossible. We're gonna... They were creating something illegal and God is like, in his mercy, God is like, I have to do something. If they finish this tower, nothing will be impossible for them. So that's not just like a building. God's not against our buildings. God is saying, if they finish this, they're going to have spiritual power, illegal spiritual power. They're gonna be lost. It's much like when they ate the, the fruit in the, in the garden and God is like, I can't let them now eat from the tree of life because they'll live forever in this broken state. This is an echo of that. God shows up in his mercy again, confuses their language 
So they abandon the building of this illegal spiritual epicenter and they go and they settle all the different nations, right? And the nations that are listed here are listed in Genesis chapter 10, when, when the Tower of Babel actually happened and directly after the confusing of languages, God chooses for himself one man to create his nation through which he would birth his Messiah, through which he would reconcile every dispersed nation back into his heart, which is why it says all the nations were gathered in this one place and the confusing of languages was undone by the love and power of the Spirit. This is verse 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were jeering or mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. (laughs) To be accused of being drunk at nine in the morning, they must have been acting drunk at nine in the morning, right? (laughs) Acting a little silly obviously speaking in strange tongues, but you can imagine that when the power of God drops on on this gathering, this is the first time that they feel what it's like to have all of God reside in them. So it looked messy. Isn't it interesting that A lot of times in church, we try to stay away from the weird manifestations of God because we think that they're divisive, but the weirdest manifestation ever brought 3,000 people into the church. Maybe we should be a little bit more welcoming. Not just us, not just this room. This room is wild. Y'all are wheels off. But (laughs) the church in general, maybe we should be a little bit more welcoming of the weird, wild, wondrous ways of the Holy Ghost. Peter stands up and gives the incredible message that brings all these people to the Lord. And for the sake of time, I'm gonna begin to paraphrase mightily. And he says, this is the fulfillment of Joel 2. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And he... he, he links the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 to the prophecy of Joel in Joel 2. This is very exciting stuff. <clears throat> so I, I spent a lot of time today talking about John the Baptist and how amazing he is and how uh, he, he made the way for, for Jesus. But there's this um, really bizarre verse where in Matthew eleven eleven, where Jesus addresses John the Baptist and confirms to him that, yeah, he is the Elijah who was to come. And then he goes on to say, among those born of women, no one has arisen who is greater than John the Baptist. What a stamp of endorsement. You know, like John T. Baptist arrives in heaven and is like, well, no. Um, <laughs> he's way more humble than that. He's not like me. Um, y'all see that last line? Y'all see that? Are you in the kingdom? Have you ever thought about that? The least, a newborn, someone who got saved yesterday, someone who got saved this morning in church, the least in the kingdom, the least after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the least after the new creation, the least after. 
is greater than John the Baptist. Can y'all just say this with me? I'm greater than John the Baptist. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? Say it again. I'm greater than John the Baptist. Sometimes it's uncomfortable when we start to agree with the truth of how awesome we are. Your blood bought, redeemed, you are particularly, genuinely, intricately made to manifest God in a way that no one else in all of history has, and you are empowered by all of God inside of you. (laughs) The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. I'd like to stand and just thank Jesus for what he's done for us. Thank the Holy Spirit that he resides in us and thank the Father for this great scheme of heaven. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you again. We're grateful for your work in our lives. We're grateful that you're poured out into our hearts. We pray, God, that uh, all of us in this room, all my friends in this room, we would experience you in degrees and in ways that we've never experienced before. We pray that we would prophesy, that the sons and daughters would feel, experience the filling of the Spirit. Pray, God, that gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit would be activated. We pray that your kingdom would advance mightily through what we're doing here, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom would advance mightily in the family units in this room, Jesus. God, we pray that our kids would have encounters with you for the next 50, 60, 70, 80 years. They can look back and say, my God is real because of what happened then there. And it wouldn't just be one encounter, God, but it would be a life of encounters. Jesus, you didn't save us for the encounter of a lifetime. You saved us for a lifetime of encounters. Pray for our kids. Lord, that they would have experiences where no argument could stand up against how they have encountered you, God. Oh, and Lord, we do want the miracles. We boldly ask for them. We pray that you'd stretch forth your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders. We pray for the shaking of buildings. We pray for the spiritual phenomena, the weirdness, the things that mark when you come close, God. We welcome them. (laughs) We pray for the joy of the spirit, the anointing of the oil of joy to be upon us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.